Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. A possible Supreme Court takeover. Congressional Democrats reveal a plan to expand the high court allowing them to pack it with liberal justices and take over the majority. Shocker. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. We are here today because the United States Supreme Court is broken. It is out of balance uh, and it needs to be fixed. It also will enable us to do justice and to rectify the great injustice that was done in packing the court. And t- some people will say we're packing the court. We're not packing it, we're unpacking it. Senator McConnell and the Republicans packed the court over the last couple of years. <laughs> it's, they're so shameless, it's, it's almost impressive. Welcome to Hold the Line, I'm Buck Sexton. Little Jerry Nadler there saying that the court packing plan that he's bringing forward is unpacking. That's very Orwellian, right? Up is down. War is peace, strength is weakness. Just just make it up as you go along. Change the plain meaning of language, of words, of reality, really. Anything for power, Democrats, right? That's the plan. That's what they're going to do. Look, let's just first establish, let's have a little fun with this. Uh, The Democrats are enormous hypocrites. They're, They're tremendous frauds on this issue. And we could go back, not even just to the most recent campaign where Joe Biden was playing this tap dance around whether he would support packing or not. We'll get to that. Uh, But you go back to Joe Biden in 1983, right near the time that I was born. Here's what he was saying about court packing back then. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. It was totally within his right to do that. He violated no law. He was legalistically absolutely correct, but it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make, and it put in question for an entire decade the independence of the most significant body, including the Congress in my view, the most significant body in this country, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. A boneheaded idea. What changed? Oh, that's right. The composition of the court Democrats need it to be a super legislature. That's what they view the Supreme Court as. When they can't actually ram through what they want through Congress, the Supreme Court will just give it to them, right? Roe v. Wade being the best example, but there are many examples of this where all of a sudden we have to listen to whatever nine lawyers in judges' robes say, and that's the end of it. Democrats love it when they get their way, no matter how much it violates the Constitution or even common sense. But right now, they've got a little bit of a problem. The court is not radical right by any stretch of the imagination, but it does have a rightward tilt if you look at the 6-3 makeup of who's on what side of the aisle. Also, can we stop pretending that the Supreme Court isn't obviously a political body at this point? Look, look who we've got here. The liberals. There you go. Okay. And then on the, on the left, you got the conservatives, six of them. 
So six and three, and and I just want to say that this, uh, if you're going to point to what happened in what Biden said in 1983 and say, well, that was a long time ago, much has changed. Okay, well, here he is in 2005. On the summer of 37, Roosevelt had just come off a landslide victory over Alf Landon. He had a Congress made up of solid new dealers, but the nine old men of the court were thwarting his agenda. In this environment, Roosevelt, and remember this old adage about power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Corrupted by power, in my view, unveiled his court packing plan. He wanted to increase the number of justices to 15, allowing himself to nominate those additional judges. He took an act of courage and the part of his own party institutionally to stand up against this power grab. Hmm. And if you're wondering, in the most recent presidential campaign, that same man, Joe Biden, when he was asked if he would support court packing, said he couldn't give an answer because that's all the press would talk about that day. So it's not that new that we're up against this now. The Democrats have clearly decided to shift in favor of an absolutist scorched earth approach. Will they actually go so far here as to cross this Rubicon? Are they willing to do it? To pack the Supreme Court, which then, of course, means that the next time you have a Republican administration, there'd be, abs- there'd be tons of pressure on them to add more judges and more judges. I mean, give it, uh, give it 10 or 15 years. What are we going to have? 20 Supreme Court justices? Well, I guess you'd have to have 21. You want it to be an odd number. But you understand where I'm going with this. Even none other than the recently sainted Ruth Bader Ginsburg, sainted on the left, said this in 2019 about court packing. Here she is. This court has had as few as five as many as 10. Nine seems to be a good number, and it's been that way for, for a long time. I think that was a bad idea when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to pack the court. Yeah, but that won't, that won't stop them now if they think they can get away with it. The question really becomes, do they worry about paying a political price in all of this? Are, are they concerned that if they go forward with this power grab, the American people will punish them in the midterm elections. That's one point of view on it, but there's also another. And that's the Democrats seem to be so full, so brimming with confidence, you could even say overconfidence right now, that perhaps they view this as an opportunity to forever change the American political landscape. That over the course of the next two or three years, they view it as possible, should they say, get rid of the filibuster, pack the court, pass HR 1, to create a one-party state, a de facto one-party state in America, where there's the Democrats controlling 70 to 80 percent of the political power in the country, and then there's a leftover rump Republican Party that doesn't really actually have any real means, any real mechanisms of standing in front of the Democrat onslaught and stopping their political plans. Uh, There are other countries where this has happened. This is not something that's unheard of. Democrats may even look to our South, to Mexico, where the PRI was the party in power in a democracy, at least ostensibly, for over 70 years. One party control it was broken about a decade ago, but nonetheless, it can happen and it could happen here. What does the American political landscape look like if Democrats do these things? Get rid of the filibuster, pass H.R. 1, pack the Supreme Court, continue with this open border, and then, of course, get through an amnesty for not just permanent status, but citizenship, adding millions of Democrat voters, likely Democrat voters, 
to the rolls. What do we think then? We're going to be looking at 10 or 15,000 vote contests in states like Georgia or Michigan or Pennsylvania. Really think that's what the electoral map's gonna look like in the future? So while they may recognize that under our current political reality, the Democrats are playing with fire should they pack the courts, they also can look far ahead enough to understand that if they go for it all right now under this Biden administration, they may be in a position to make sure they win all future elections as well. It doesn't matter. It will forever alter what it is to be uh, having elections in this country. So these are the stakes we're seeing right now. Perhaps they just back off of this. And then there's also that the, the pretense of moderation that will come. Oh, look, Democrats, they didn't pack the courts, so sure they should spend $2 trillion on infrastructure when only 25% of it actually has anything to do with infrastructure. Sure, they should go for it. Yeah, that's the way it's going to be presented to you. So just get ready for that. Talk more about this in just a second with what, what is the Democrat plan here really? What game are they playing? Got a man who could speak to this in detail, Dinesh D'Souza. He joins me to talk about Democrats' power grab and the Supreme Court. That's up next. You ever thought about investing in real estate? Take me up on this recommendation, okay? If it's ever crossed your mind at all, go to the website doneforyoubuck.com right now, and you can learn a lot more about my friends at Done For You Real Estate. If you haven't ever heard of them before, I'll make this straightforward. These guys have found a way to take beginners, novices in investing in real estate like me and put them into a system where they're actually going to be successful. And it flat out works. It allows everyday hardworking Americans like you and me to finally own investment real estate without all the risk and difficulty of doing it on your own. I can't tell you in strong enough terms during this quick commercial how important it is you check these guys out and all the things they do. So how about this? If you go to the website doneforyoubuck.com, at the top of the page is a podcast interview I did with Done For Your Real Estate. You hear me describe, in my own words, extensively, what it was that brought me to real estate investing and why I'm working with these guys and how it's been. Go to doneforyoubuck.com. Listen to that podcast interview at the top of the page. Again, just click on doneforyoubuck.com. Show my friends at Done For Your Real Estate that you're interested and they'll show you what they can do for you. You can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. They're going to go from 9 to 13 on the court. That's what the bill says. This is frightening where they want to take the country. It is a dangerous, dangerous direction where they're going with immigration policy, where they're going with the, with the court policy. They want to control everything, and it's scary. Farthest left activists aren't interested in the common good. 
they want power. If Republicans had introduced a bill to add four Supreme Court seats for the last president to fill, there would have been weeks of wall-to-wall -wall outrage on every newspaper and cable TV channel, non-stop. Republicans slamming the move by Democrats to at least begin looking at adding four justices to the Supreme Court, which will bring the number to 13. Here to weigh in on this obvious power grab, should they actually go through with it, is conservative filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza, also the Dinesh D'Souza podcast, which all of you should check out. He's doing it every day, recording it. Dinesh, great to see you. Hey, my pleasure. Good to be with you. Uh, Dinesh, I, I see this. I see the headline. It, it, it hits last night on the on the news sites, and then today I know we're all going to be talking about this. This part of me just feels like, how could we be, even be surprised at this point? Everything about the Biden administra administration so far seems to be no good faith, no no middle ground, scorched earth, my way or the highway. I agree, and I think that it is a little bit of our naivete not to expect this, and in fact, not to anticipate it. If you you know, you played Mitch McConnell basically saying, if we had done this uh, a year or two ago, they would have been screaming. Well, maybe we should have done it. Uh, because had we done it, uh, it would have taught them a lesson and it would have made them a little more reluctant to do it themselves because they would see the two can play at this game. Right now, the reason the left is pushing ahead on all fronts is they're constantly catching us off guard. We seem to be like neophytes in this game. Uh, and so they're like, wow, we can we, we discover we can round up all the corporations. We can kick them off the platforms. We can pack the court. Uh, and we're, we're discovering it's the, all of this is meeting with surprisingly little resistance other than the kind of just sort of shows of outrage. Um, you know, and so I think the left feels emboldened by the fact that they're not meeting any significant resistance that they know that we won't dream of doing it to them. You know, Janesh, one of my frustrations, and, and you're, you're alluding to, I think, a similar sentiment here, is that when Trump won the election, the next day there was active hashtag resistance marching through the streets of New York City, all the institutions the left controls, certainly the media and Hollywood, everything was united in this effort to do, to do whatever they could to oppose Trump in whatever way they could, including making up the Russia collusion conspiracy theory and all these other things. Where is our hashtag resistance on the right? It, it feels like we're, we're hoping that they're going to exhaust themselves with these attempts at autocracy in a one-party state. I think that's a very bad strategy. Yeah, I think this can all be summarized in what I would call the classic, uh, you know, Rona McDaniel tweet, which is things like, you know, the Democrats must not, the Democrats must not do this and they must not do that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, obviously, they don't care what Rona McDaniel says. And, and the must not is another way of saying, I don't have any way of doing anything about this. I'm merely annoyed by it. But essentially, I'm going to grudgingly just go along with it. So this is a this is a sign, I think, of of a serious problem on our side, which is an unwillingness to grasp the situation as it is. Here's a small example. I was just uh, yesterday talking on Fox about, 
a Swiss billionaire who wants to buy the Tribune newspapers. This is a left-wing billionaire. Uh, you know, the Tribune is already left-leaning. So the whole idea is to buy these media properties as instruments of propaganda. Now, there's a good deal of money on our side, but, you know, our... Um, our guys don't want to buy the Washington Post uh, for $250 million. I mean, think of it. The Washington Post is up for sale for a quarter of a billion dollars. There are probably 30 guys on the right who could write that check without blinking, and yet not one of them would dream of doing it because they're wondering things like, well, what's the return? Aren't newspapers out of date? How many people read newspapers today? Instead of saying it's the Washington Post, it has an impact on all the networks. So if we want to be in this game and fight with the same weapons, as the, as the left, we need to have a network. We need to have serious newspapers. We need to have universities and academic programs. We need to be able to make movies. But it doesn't seem like we, we seem very inert on this cultural front, which these days is the name of the game. You know, Dinesh, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi spoke specifically about her view on whether they should do court packing or not. I wanted to have you react to this. Play the clip. Do you support Jerry Nadler's bill to expand the Supreme Court by four seats? And would you commit to bringing that bill to the floor? No. I, I support the president's commission to study such a proposal. Uh, but uh, frankly, I, I, I'm not. I, Dinesh, I mean, uh, support this study? We all know what this, support the study of the proposal? I mean, I just wonder, I have a few feelings here and trying to get inside Nancy Pelosi's brain is obviously a dangerous experiment, but is this all Democrat modern Bailey argument where, well, okay, maybe, maybe they didn't pack the Supreme Court, but they're, they're just going to break the filibuster for something else, right? I mean, what do you see happening here? How is it that on the one hand, they're pushing this forward, but then Nancy Pelosi is kind of babbling as she does? Well, no, no, I think there's a, there's something going on here, which is this. Uh, the logic of Nadler and these guys goes like this. They're basically thinking, listen, Biden, you're playing a little pirouette dance game. You want to set up a commission, stack it with left-wing academics. They'll recommend expanding the court. Well, listen, that's all going to take 10 months. Why don't we jump the gun and just do it now? We all know why this commission is coming out. So why go through the pretense? Let's just kind of get to the conclusion and get to it tomorrow. Now, Nancy Pelosi is more on track with the Biden approach, which is, listen, the American people will be a little alarmed. This is a very divided country. It's not like one party enjoys vast majority support. So for the left to try to grab the only institution of government that might provide some resistance, Pelosi realizes that's kind of politically dangerous. So she wants to do the tap dance, pirouette, backward somersault routine. But Nadler is trying to cut her off at the pass and basically say, why go through all the formalities? Let's just do it now. Dinesh, that begs the que- uh, that forces the question. Uh, do you think they might actually do this? Do you think they might actually get this done in uh, Biden's first term? I do not think the likelihood is that they will. I think that they will exhaust a lot of effort trying. Um, in some ways, they're better off to focus on things like HR1 and the filibuster, because if they get HR1, this will give them, this is almost like getting the home team advantage in every game going forward. And so that's going to give them the chance to build the kind of majority that could eventually control the court. But I think the effort to just go for the court right now, it's a little bit of a Hail Mary pass. Uh, and I think it's, it's going to be difficult even getting 50 Democrats to be on board with that. Dinesh? Where is our conservative resistance right now in terms of elected officials? I mean, who, 
who is actually making the case? We, we pay their salaries. They're supposed to be able to explain to the American people why the Democrat approach here is bad and why the Biden administration. It feels like there's, there's not a lot right now. There's not a lot of people to celebrate other than maybe DeSantis down in Florida. But do you see anybody who's, who's standing out in your mind? Well, the conservative movement has had a lot of trouble, I think, in the last uh, four years. First of all, intellectually, it's been sort of brain dead since at least 2016. And all I mean by that is that the, the majority of the conservative intelligentsia has been essentially mobilizing against Trump. So in terms of actually advancing, the, uh, you know, where the Republican Party should be, what is a kind of post-Reagan agenda for the 21st century, we're getting very little in this regard. Uh, that's a, that, I think, is a real problem. And then I think in terms of the new leadership, I mean, think how disappointing it was when Christy Nome, somebody who seemed to have, you know, not only that kind of chic uh, political sense, but also very good instincts, suddenly comes out and basically is talked into uh, vetoing a bill on transgender rights by the Chamber of Commerce. I mean, this is basically an Aza Hutchinson level of stupidity and probably ends her prospects of national leadership in the party. So uh, I'm a little mystified at why people who have so much promise are turning out to be such duds. Dinesh D'Souza, everybody. Check out the Dinesh D'Souza podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, out every Monday through Friday. Dinesh, good to see you. I've been warning you about home title theft. That's where cyber thieves remove you from your home's title and become the owner. I said, you better get home title lock because it's coming. Well, if you're on Facebook, the big breach is here. Facebook had 500 million accounts exposed to cyber thieves. And according to a retired FBI cybercrime expert, everything thieves need to take over as the new owner of your home was leaked. Name, address, personal information, it's out there. The thief forges your signature on a quitclaim deed stating you sold your home to him. He'll leave you in debt or even have you evicted. So do what I did and protect your home's title with Home Title Lock. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. Then sign up for 30 free days of protection during this high-risk breach. Again, all you have to do right now is go to the website. The first thing you got to realize that when you get vaccinated, your risk of getting infected dramatically diminishes and is very low. So then the obvious question is, why are there any restrictions? They're all because in a certain situation, one can get vaccinated have no clinical disease at all, but get infected and not even know it and have replication of virus in your nasopharynx and inadvertently transmit it to somebody else who might actually be unvaccinated and get ill. That's the reason why you want to wear a mask there. Dr. Fauci once again reiterating that you have to wear a mask even after you're fully vaccinated because of the incredibly remote chance that you could still inadvertently infect an unvaccinated person. It seems like the Fauciites are intent on making masks a permanent fixture of American society, and that's not hyperbole. Officials in the state of Oregon are considering indefinitely extending rules requiring masks and social distancing in all businesses in the state. That's right, permanent mask mandate. Now they could always change that, of course, but they're looking to make it permanent. According to reports, the state would keep the rules in place until they're, quote, no longer necessary to address the effects of the pandemic. But what would that really be? At what level? Well, they'll get back to you on that. Joining me now, New York correspondent for the Federalist, David Marcus. David, good to see you. How you doing? Doing well, Buck. How are you? I've been telling, I'm good, man, but I've been telling people forever, 
The logic of the lockdowner position here has been that when we get toward the, the terminus of the true pandemic, the arguments that they've made and the, the mass hysteria that they have induced around so many things will result in people saying, you know what? You guys are right. When we were saying at the beginning that why did we never mask up for the flu season? And they said, shut up. Everyone has to mask. It's going to turn into we probably should mask up for the flu season, for COVID variants, for the continuation. I, I think that now we're in the, this is going to be a fight that drags out certainly through the end of this year, but deep into next year and maybe the one after that. I, I, absolutely. And, and I mean, it, it's so absurd uh, at this point. I really, I, I, I put a lot of this back to last year uh, about this time when you saw candidate Joe Biden and tons of Democrats and media personalities wearing masks in absurd and needless circumstances. I mean, you'd see Biden interviewed by a reporter who was a football field away um, and he had this mask on for absolutely no reason. And it was almost explicitly said like, oh, this isn't medical. We're, we're trying to, to set a good example. But uh, you know, a, a mask serves a purpose, right? I mean, condoms are effective at stopping certain STDs. That doesn't mean that you wear one to dinner. Um, there's, a, there's a reason to wear a mask. Uh, it, it has a purpose. And we've reached a point where uh, it's just virtue signaling right now. I took my son to a baseball game. We were 20 feet away from anybody outside. Uh, and we were supposed to have this mask on. It's, it's absolutely absurd. It, it is absurd. And what I think is so interesting is that the people that were demanding these policies before always suggested the science was on their side. And that was debatable, and that's putting it mildly to begin with, but that was always the claim. Now that it's just gotten to the point of, of abject absurdity, I mean, there is no basis for outdoor masking as a considerable risk. They're, they're seizing upon one in 10,000, one in 50,000 or 100,000 by the numbers risk factors to continue these policies. And when you push them enough, I think that they're becoming more explicit with saying, well, this is about showing good behavior. Like we all wear masks so we get a pat on the head from Lord Fauci and people at CNN feel like their work here is done. That's kind of terrifying because they're saying this now more openly than ever before. Yeah. And, and I mean, now it's getting walked back, right? I mean, now you're starting to see articles in places like The Atlantic saying, oh, well, Maybe we should only be wearing the masks when it's medically needed. When during the campaign, uh, you know, Trump was literally killing people by not wearing a mask in situations where the CDC didn't call for a mask to be worn. So, you know, so much of this is unraveling. And I mean, it's happening sort of so, so quickly. But at the same time, at such a distance from what we were going through a year ago, uh, that these people are really pretending that they weren't saying things that they really explicitly were saying. And they just don't seem to care. Governor Ron DeSantis, who has done the best job of any big state population governor out there, gets into a very important point on vaccination right now. I want to play that clip for you. So you know, my view is, is you know, if, you, if you get a vaccine, the vaccines are effective, you're immune. And so act immune. Uh, if you tell people the opposite, then gee, you know, why, if it's not effective for them and it's not going to change anything, then what's the point of going through it? Now, he's a guy who pays close attention to the numbers, to what works, what doesn't, which is why Florida has become the, the beacon of freedom for the rest of the country, where California, COVID disaster. Michigan, COVID disaster. New York, New Jersey, same thing. 
people go, okay, well, maybe Florida actually had something right here. And largely, I think it's by somebody who doesn't politicize the data, who looks at it for what it is. He's talking here about incentives for vaccination. If the big problem, we're told, David, is we can't get enough people vaccinated fast enough, th there should be a trade-off in the minds of the Fauciites and all the people that support him and the, and the Biden administration that, okay, even in the very unlikely scenario that vaccinated people might be able to pass this to somebody and that that would somehow contribute to, it would, we all know, it, we're talking less than 1% of transmission, at, at a minimum, less than 1% of transmission is what would be happening from the vaccinated population to the rest of the population. But also, if people believed, I get the shot, I get to then go around and not wear a mask, it would be a game changer. You would have far more people. Right now they're saying, so I take the risk, I don't get any benefit, and for what? Well, yeah, I mean, the rules keep changing, and the rules are always changing in the direction of more restrictions on the American people. I mean, at first, we were told, if you catch COVID, uh, then you're immune to COVID. In fact, I had Dr. Monsef Slawi, the head of Operation Warp Speed, tell me that last July. Uh, then suddenly that wasn't true. And no, you still have to wait for the vaccine. Then you'll be immune. Now we have the vaccine and you're still not immune. Um, so, yeah, the, the rules keep changing. And every time the rules change, they change in such a way that place these restrictions on people's lives. I, I, to me, it's starting to not seem like a coincidence, right? Yeah. And uh, Governor Halfwit over at Michigan, uh, running the state of Michigan, much to their uh, you know, everlasting shame. She's uh, trying to, I, I like this one, you'll appreciate it. She decided to slip, because her state right now is, it's terrible, it's a disaster. They had the worst spike of COVID anywhere else in the country. And she's, you know, real proud of their outdoor and indoor mask mandates and all this stuff. Meanwhile, Texas, Mississippi, no mask mandates, 100% businesses doing fine. Almost like maybe getting people out of enclosed spaces and outside and getting fresh air and Maybe there's actually an epidemiological benefit to that. I don't know if anyone ever wanted to think about that in the lockdown left. But here she is trying to throw some shade at Florida. It was kind of sad, but you got to see it. Well, at the end of the day, this is going to come down to whether or not everyone does their part. Uh, that's the most important thing. This variant, the B117 variant, is what is growing so quickly here in Michigan. We have the second most of it than, I think, right after Florida. At least that was the last data that I saw. Michigan and Florida are not next to each other. But this is the time of the year that snowbirds come home from Florida, where people are going on spring break, and all of these things can contribute to spread. And that's why we're imploring people to take this seriously, mask up, get tested. If you've been around someone who's positive, stay home. I mean, this woman is an imbecile, but put that aside for a second. <laughs> Trying to bring Florida into this. She's saying they have the cases. They're, they're responsible because of the snowbirds coming back. Florida's doing, right. Florida doesn't have the problems Michigan does. Why is that? Yeah, and I, I mean, it, it's, it's not like anybody is going to Florida from the rest of the country, right? I mean, the Florida's got Disney World. Florida's been open. Everybody's flocking to Florida. So, I mean, you know, but by, by Whitmer's bizarre logic here, you know, it could be the people from Michigan and New York going to Florida. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It's foolishness. We look at the numbers. Obviously, Florida had a much better response, both in terms of health and in terms of economics than Michigan. And she can spin it any way that she wants. So can Cuomo. So can Newsom. The facts are the facts. And the American people aren't stupid. David Marcus of The Federalist. Go check out his latest at thefederalist.com. Give him a follow on Twitter as well. David, good to see you. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're learning more about the Minnesota cop who fatally shot a 20-year-old black man during a traffic stop in what the police chief called an accidental discharge. Officer Kim Potter, a 26-year veteran of the Brooklyn Center Police Department, resigned this morning after mistaking her firearm for her taser when she shot Dante Wright on Sunday, saying she believes it is in the best interest of the community to leave the department immediately. The graphic body cam footage opened up a new discussion on police training reform. Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show and somebody who really understands firearms inside and out, joins me that way. And Dana, great to see you. Good to see you, Buck. So... This does seem like a terrible accident. We have people, including the governor of Minnesota, talking about how there needs to be police training. But let, let's wait. Let's get into this a little bit. I mean, what kind of training could there be to help differentiate taser from firearm? This this kind of incident uh, happened before. And also, should we just be prepared for the training to be federal oversight of law enforcement looking for racial bias? I mean, it, it strikes me as. The training issue is really always just a politicized issue when it gets talked about at this level. What, what do you see here? No, I think that's exactly right. Everyone always talks about training, Buck, for law enforcement, but then that kind of goes away and then we are, we're back to defunding the police, which I might add, you know, I don't know how far it's gone in Minnesota. I know Minneapolis, their city council made some moves to defund the police, but I don't know if that's actually come into effect yet or not. Uh, but in this particular situation, the, yeah, you should be able to tell your, the difference between a taser and your Glock. You should absolutely be able to. And so I was, when I was watching this and I looked at the video and I was, you know, stopping it like frame by frame, the moment that I could actually like see something. And I noticed that there are two things that I noticed. First off, Buck, I noticed that all the other officers, they were all carrying their tasers on their non-dominant side. They all had their handguns on their dominant side, their tasers, which had the yellow grip on the non-dominant side. Um, and none of the other officers, at least from what I saw in the video, and this is just going off of this, you know, the video footage and stopping and starting. I didn't see any other officer that had their firearm drawn as well. Now, this particular officer, Officer Kim Potter, who you said has been serving for 26 years now, uh, she was yelling taser, taser, but then went for her handgun on her dominant side, which then makes me wonder, first off, how long has she carried a taser? How long has that been department policy? The second thing is, you know, how much training have they received? Have they done? force on force have they done you know what kind of uh, you know reactionary discernment all of that de-escalation because you know it, it, there's 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 a lot to get into here and it clearly I understand that duress comes into it buck and 
but the big thing is that you never rise to the occasion. You always fall back on your highest level of training, uh, especially when you get into that fight or flight mode. I was just talking about this on my radio program with my friend Jared Ogden, who's retired Navy SEAL, and he's gone around the country doing this exact thing, training police with de-escalation, discernment, everything to avoid a situation like that. Now, of course, you know every officer, they don't know what they're going to walk into into these situations. You have millions of engagements like this a year, and thankfully these situations are rare, but you still want to prevent them. Well, and given that how rare it is, does- Dana, is there even really a realistic training regime? I mean, as you point out, most officers, and clearly based on the numbers of how often this kind of a, a tragic accident happens of the, of the taser fire mix, most officers can tell, do tell the difference between these things. Some people I know will carry the taser in a chest rig, which separates it from where they keep their pistol, maybe that being more mm-hmm. standard, but it doesn't seem to me like there's really going to be any kind of change in police training nationwide that would be a useful uh, means of, of it's, resources. It's, it's Go ahead. People this. I'm, I'm very hesitant with, and I think you hit up on a good point, I'm very hesitant with any move towards nationalizing the police force, which I feel like Democrats, with every single one of these awful tragedies that take place, they get more and more you know, pushed towards. But uh, in this particular situation, you know, I'd rather an officer have the skills and not need them than need them and not have them. Um, because two things, don't resist arrest, number one, especially for a felony warrant for an illegally possessed firearm when you're 20 years old. And the second thing is that, you know, if you're backup, be backup and make sure that you have the training. A lot of this comes down to training and also following the law, not resisting arrest. And you're going to have another town that's going to burn. You're going to have another nation that's going to be gearing towards, or our nation here another summer, gearing towards a season of riots again, based upon something like this. Dante Wright, as you mentioned, had a felony, uh, a felony warrant out for him for possession of a legal possession of, of a firearm. And, and Dana, right. as, as we look at this, I, I just wonder, Last week, we were in the midst of a national gun control conversation yet again. It seems to have temporarily faded here, but I I have a sense that we're going to be returning to this conversation very quickly. I want to know where you think the Biden administration is heading with this. Yeah, and and to tie that in with this, you don't hear the gun control advocates on this particular story of a 20-year-old who was in illegal possession of a firearm and had a felony warrant out. I mean, you don't really don't really hear a lot from them, and you don't really hear a lot from the administration on his own son. Maybe, perhaps, falsifying a forty-four seventy-three. Uh, the steps that the that the administration is taking, there are two things that that I think uh, unnerve me more than anything. The nominee for ATF director, who I think is an absolute blue and on freak job, who just is he's a conspiracist nut. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to be sensationalist. I mean, that's just an honest observation. I mean, this is a guy who made fun of law-abiding Americans after they saw their cities burn and wanted to go out and purchase firearms, and he said that they were preparing for a zombie apocalypse, and he thought all those gun stores should have been closed as quote-unquote non-essential businesses. So I'm a little concerned about the installment of David Chipman. No Republican in the Senate should vote for him. On the other matter, the issue with trying to redefine what is or is not a firearm, there's a reason why Biden wants this particular guy as as the director of the ATF, because the ATF buck, as you well know, can come down and define what is is a firearm? Is it an 80% lower? Are we going to start just classifying blocks of, of aluminum as firearms by themselves because of the potential of what can be done with lawful hobbyists. Uh, people ignore the Undetectable Firearms Act from 1988 that stipulates that, no, you you actually have to be able to detect a firearm, even if you're making a plastic 3D gun and has to have a small percentage of metal in it. All this stuff is already law, but that's not the point. 
The point is defining everything that can be made into a firearm, kits and all, and handguns as all NFA items. I think that's the ultimate goal, and they're setting the first stages for those steps. Do you think, Dana, that people understand just how much the administration wants to get this done? I mean, I, I've been trying to warn people along. When you're talking about getting rid of the filibuster and, and adding D.C. as a state and, and all these different, and, and by the way, amnesty, which given what's going on at the border, is something that we're definitely going to be having a, a major political fight over in, in the months ahead. The more illegals that come over, the greater the, the weight on the amnesty side gets. Uh, gun control, I mean, the Biden administration really wants to get this done. And they're going to be pushing for this at a time when the country has gone through 12 months of the worst murder rate and violent crime, including assaults, rapes, homicides, you name it, in over 20 years, Dana. So, so we got a Biden administration that wants to make it harder to get a gun, wants to crack down on gun owners. You point out the ATF situation. We've got riots expected in the weeks ahead and perhaps even all through the summer for BLM. And we're not going to be able to defend ourselves or we're going to, it's going to be harder for us to defend ourselves. That, that's going to be a tough one to swallow, I think, for the American people. Yeah, and Joe Biden is going to win an award for best firearm salesman in the country for this entire year, Buck. That's what's going to happen because that record number of firearm owners that we saw for the first half of this year and in total last year, that number that number will double. I mean, he's turning firearm owners out of people who you, who were previously anti-gun advocates. That's how serious this is getting because people always fall upon that common ground of wanting to make sure that they can protect themselves and their families. And you hit up on a good point. There's a lot of stuff in motion that's going to make that that kind of a restriction a lot easier eliminating the filibuster so that Democrats who or whoever's controlling the Senate Democrats are going to be able to ram it through. And then if they actually end up making something out of this Supreme Court commission that was just assembled and packing the Supreme Court because Trump was very successful with his judicial agenda for the latter half of his last term. So that's that's also going to probably make it a lot easier for them to do something like this, which is why everybody needs to be very much engaged. They need to be talking to their lawmakers and they need to not assume, Buck, that just because a lawmaker in the in the senator house has an R by their name, that they A, understand firearms and firearm law, or B, even entirely support it. And for evidence of that, see Marco Rubio's red flag legislation in the Senate. Dana Lash, everybody, check out the Dana Lash podcast. If you're not already listening, you can get it wherever you listen to podcasts. Dana, great to see you. Thanks so much. We're living in very uncertain times and being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed the world we live in is anything but predictable. We've got the government passing massive spending bills. The Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars in fiat currency. And many experts are predicting inflation could run rampant in the coming months. That could spell disaster for the dollars in your bank account. We could all benefit from something a little more reliable right about now. Well, what could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver that you can actually hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group now and learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, call the Oxford Gold Group right now at 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Call them right now at 833-600-GOLD. One more time, that's 833-600-G-O-L-D. A new poll tells us what we already knew about liberals and a sheriff in Florida states the obvious, but not everyone's saying it, about riots. We've got those stories right now in Quick Hits. And we have for you, starting with this poll, 
New York Times poll shows liberals are miserable and conservatives are happy. Political junkies might be interested to learn that conservative women are particularly blissful. 40% say they're happy. That makes them slightly happier than conservative men and significantly happier than liberal women. The unhappiest of all are liberal men. Only about a fifth consider themselves to be very happy. Uh, yeah, being a liberal man, being, you know, signing on for this kind of beta male mentality all the time. Not, not a good move, not, not something, not a recipe for feeling good about yourself, about your masculinity, about your role in the world, anything else. But a lot of libs running around, they think that this is better for them. I, we, hey, the water is warm over, on conserv- over in conservatism. We welcome you. Come, come over to our side, please. Love to have you. And you'll be happier. Yeah, that's the part of this. That really, at the end of the day, it's not about who gets the most retweets on Twitter and who gets the most uh, you know, TV viewers or anything else. How do you feel at the end of the day? I'll tell you one thing. Great part of being a conservative in the media with all the, all the suppression of our ideas and all the uphill bullcrap we deal with from the corporate media being completely dominated by leftists and everything else, we sleep well at night. I feel good about what we do. I feel great about what I do every day. Tell people the truth, spread, it, spread information and knowledge that they find useful and helpful. Sleep like a baby. Don't go to bed every night. Why do I not have purpose? Oh, I need to be on MSNBC more. Maybe if I get, if I get a better column at the New York Times. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But that's just in the media perspective. I, I think you extrapolate this all throughout society. You get similar dynamics between conservatives and liberals. We go to bed at night knowing who we are and feeling good about what we do. There's that. And I don't mean just professionally. I mean in general. CNN senior legal analyst. <laughs> Speaking of somebody in the media is probably really unhappy. Uh, defense begins the closing by defining reasonable doubt, not with Derek Chauvin is innocent. Think about that, legal analyst. Um, yes, that's a, a, a bedrock legal principle for a criminal trial. And there are a lot of areas of conflicting testimony from experts on both sides. And so when there's conflicting testimony, guess what that creates? Reasonable doubt. And what is the obligation of a jury in a situation where they cannot, beyond a reasonable doubt, know that this was, uh, that there was a, a defendant here who is in fact guilty of the crimes alleged? A not guilty verdict. But in a country where we're all expecting effectively uh, there to be mass riots all over the place, if the left doesn't get their way, well, then it's a little bit trickier, isn't it? We're, we're having a trial with essentially the threat of hostage taking going on around it, but the left has no problem with this because they don't care about the system, they don't care about the principles, they care about power and getting their way. Uh, The good news is there are some people who are already speaking out about, uh, against the notion that riots are just going to, riots don't just have to happen. Human beings can all make the decision. We're not going to riot. They want to peacefully protest? Great. Get together, hold your placards, make your voices heard, go on TV, put it on social media. Great. First Amendment. We love it. Right? I don't agree with what they're saying necessarily, but I agree with the right to say it. Riots or something else. Here's a sheriff from Polk County, Florida, who's saying, look, you're coming down to Florida. That's great. We love people coming down to Florida. Obey the laws. No riots. Peaceful protest. We encourage. And more riot. We can tell the difference, and I'll guarantee you that you'll be able to tell the difference if you come here and riot. If you come here and protest peacefully, we encourage that. 
seen it time and time again. Law enforcement all across the country, when people are, are peacefully protesting, law enforcement actually uh, protects them, keeps them from being in you know, traffic accidents and incidents, make sure that there's some basic crowd control so people feel free to, to say what they want to say and, and they don't have to fear anyone you know, assaulting them or doing anything to, to harm them while they're exercising their First Amendment rights. That's what happens during peaceful protests. We've all seen it. I've seen it hundreds of times across the country now. Or you can burn down buildings, attack cops, break storefronts, steal things. That's rioting. People who do that should be punished. Let's be very clear on that right now, because the Democrats certainly aren't. All right, that's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields high.